You're listening to the film podcast about indie filmmaking and big budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another episode of the Film Podcast. It's been some time since we've featured any short films on the podcast, and to make up for that, we have three winning short film directors who will be joining the podcast over the next two weeks to talk about their award-winning films. Our first filmmaker is the writer-director of a film called Drip, Sydney Fenton. Welcome to the Film Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Craig. You're an Australian filmmaker based in Sydney, Australia. And for those outside of Australia, Sydney has been in lockdown hell for so many weeks. I have lost count, but I think the virus is starting to be beaten down now. So how have you been coping with the lockdown, Sydney? And what have you been doing to amuse yourself in all this time? <laughs> I've been trying to amuse myself and uh, I think I think after a while you, you start doing some pretty interesting things to get it done but uh, lockdown hasn't been all bad it, it kind of forces you to uh, to be more creative I'm doing a lot more writing drip actually came about originally uh, last year when we had we had our first lockdown coming from a background in documentary I uh, I'd never actually written narrative before and it was it was being stuck at home that forced me to you know, finally give it a crack. And that's how Drip came about. You know, as difficult as it might have been, there's some silver lining to it. Well, that's good that you've been able to write because writing during COVID can be a great creative valve to switch on. But equally, sometimes you can be sitting there staring at the screen with zero words being tapped out. Obviously, you've been able to manage some of the writing during this time of lockdown. Yeah, I think it's about it's about using the circumstances, whatever positives they can they can give you. I'd initially written something which was a bit more ambitious, and when we realised last year that lockdown was uh, was here to stay for, for longer than we hoped, I actually rewrote the script to just use what I had around. So the the star of Drip, L, was my housemate and friend at the time, who just happened to be a very good actor. So I, I wrote it with her in mind, and then. You know, I was living with another good friend who was uh, a first AD and a producer, so I used her and, and we shot the thing in the, the house that we were staying at during lockdown. The idea of you know, the dripping tap, which in the film is kind of the precursor for everything going wrong. At the time, the house was you know, falling apart. It's an old share house in Sydney's kind of inner west area. We couldn't get a plumber in to fix it because of lockdown as well. So a lot of the things that made that film, for me, something a story that I wanted to tell were things that wouldn't have happened without lockdown. So back to your film, Drip, you are the writer-director. Perhaps now's a good time to just maybe tell our filmmaker listeners what your film is about. Drip is a short horror film, and it follows Elle, who's spending her first night in a share house by herself. And you know, her intention is just to have a nice, relaxing evening at home, but there's this tap that keeps dripping and dripping and it ends up being a bit of a, a forewarning for something else in the house, which is more malevolent, something which is uh, trying to take her down. And where did the idea come from? The idea came from just being in lockdown and I suppose being stuck in this house, not being able to get out of it. And at the same time, you know, the, the house that we were all living in was uh, totally falling apart. So dripping taps and you know, the paint peeling off the walls. There were suspicious smells that we couldn't do anything about. So uh, the house kind of took on a personality while we were living in there. So it, it seemed fairly appropriate to write about being, write about the house being haunted and out to get us. 
So crafting the story, there is some really great plotting going on in the piece. Tell us how you plotted out the film. Well, I've always been a big fan of horror. For an audience to really get invested in a horror, they have to care about the person who is under threat. And so I wanted to establish Elle's character fairly well. So that by the time things started going a bit sideways for her, we had an idea of who she is and and the kind of reactions that she might have. And, you know, we care about her. And as things start to escalate, I think I wanted to tell a, a more traditional story about, you know, overcoming that danger, but then raise the stakes again, trying to keep raising those stakes as much as you could in, in a short film duration. And one of the key tricks to scaring people is making them care about the protagonist, which you're, you're mentioning, because without empathy, we just don't care about what is unfolding in the story and the scares don't have the impact to affect us. So with a short film, of course, you've got a lot less time to set that up. So you have to jump on that structure for empathy much quicker than a feature. Mm. How did you approach all of that? Really, it was just about writing a conversation that she could have. I mean, she's home alone, so we have her have a phone call. But it was about having a conversation where we try to make it as naturalistic as possible. So you already know someone that you feel like you can relate to pretty easily. Just the intention of her to have a, you know, a quiet, relaxing night at home, that's something that I think we can all relate to. And those plans being, uh, being unfortunately thwarted, especially after lockdown, that's something that we can, we can definitely all relate to around here. And I thought that your casting of the lead, she did a terrific job for you because it's not an easy role. I was very fortunate that uh, one of my housemates just happened to be such a, a talented actor. Her ability to really sell those reactions and commit to being frightened to a lot of the time, nothing actually being there, uh, that was what was going to make or break the film. So it was uh, it was very fortunate that I had her there. Even the part where... Elle switches on the light in the bathroom without giving this too much away. There are a million different ways that you can turn on a light, but something like what she did here, it's small but very impactful to the mounting tension that you're creating. I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed it. We, uh, we, filmed, we filmed those lights being turned on a few different ways quite a few times. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, maybe I'm being a bit too pedantic trying to get this many options, but... Uh, uh, it's great that you actually noticed the flicking the light switch on. It's nice to know it was worth it. And I thought that what you did was really well creating an atmosphere in your film, which you set up right from the beginning. And creating the mood and the atmosphere is one of the strongest pieces in any film. So how did you go about creating that atmosphere as well as the tone for your film? Oh, I'm glad you felt that way. I enjoy the horror films where it's not about, it's not necessarily about going hard. You know, it's not about the big score or showing what the danger is. It's, it's leaving a lot up to the imagination. And I think there's a new wave of filmmakers now. They really push silence and uh, the power of silence. When I first had the idea of just a dripping tap and how ominous that could be, and then just piercing it with something as subtle as a drip, how you could make that one small sound interrupting silence, the precursor for something, you know, far more dangerous. And from the soundscape, we kind of built everything else up. Visually, we, we also try and keep it fairly, fairly scarce without giving it away. There's a couple of shots in there where there's something fairly creepy happening in the background, but most people don't notice it until the second or third viewing. So you get that, that rewatch value out of it. But uh, it was all about keeping the visuals and the audioscape fairly empty so that when something does happen, uh, you know, it really jumps out at you. 
And a lot of the time, particularly in horror, you can have a film that rushes too quickly into wanting to scare its audience, or perhaps the opposite happens, and it's way too slow before anything happens. So pacing becomes very critical. And it was obvious to me watching your film that pacing is something that you paid a lot of attention to. There are some other horror filmmakers that, that I've worked with where they'll talk about needing to have a, a scare every three minutes or so. I, I don't think horror films need to be, for me, they don't need to be scary all the time. I think it's much more important to tell a story which is interesting and engaging for the audience. Off the back of that, I think horror is something that you can, you can almost inject into it. There's uh, this idea that all that horror films need to do is scare you. And, and I think if you're turning up to a horror film and that's all you're looking for without the story aspect to it, you're never going to come away from that necessarily very fulfilled. And using a misdirect really well can be a powerful device, particularly in horrors. Some films overuse it in this genre. So the misdirect should be used sparingly, but the execution to pull off a misdirect can be one of the hardest things to do in film. Uh, how about you, Sydney? How difficult is the misdirect to write and then to execute? I definitely struggle writing, writing the Mr. X. There's a push, uh, at least I feel, in, in some of the scripts that I've been reading to subvert expectation almost for the sake of subverting it, to, to do something the audience don't expect. But I, I think when you're writing a twist, the really unfulfilling twists are the ones where it was, oh, we've changed the circumstances of, of, of what you initially thought. But there needs to be a bit of a payoff to it. I think the films that do a twist particularly well are the ones where the clues were always there and to be able to lead an audience down a path where they think one thing, but then the whole time the actual truth was in front of them. It, it takes a lot of skill to be able to execute that properly. And for me, whenever I've tried to write something like that, the twist has always come about almost by accident. It's been a story that I'm writing uh, almost from the perspective of the audience. And then at the end of it, I look back and think, this film is actually potentially about something else entirely. And it's happened almost serendipitously. I wish I could be a bit more skillful with it and, and write them out with the full intention from the outset. But it's almost like I have to trick myself to get them down on paper. And coming back to your lead actor, Elle, how did you workshop this film with her? Because I suspect that there was a bit of workshopping going on before you went to the camera. There was, uh, there was a lot of pre-production. Uh, another benefit of being locked down in the, the same house together, it meant that there were a few of the trickier sequences, like the bathtub, where we were able to block them out on set where we were actually going to film, which was a, a huge advantage. But there were parts where, even with the workshopping that uh, we tried to do, there were still some difficulties. Uh, we'd rehearsed the bathtub scene quite a few times. But when it came to the actual night, initially what we were trying to do is, is get Elle and the other person in the bath at the same time. And that bath was going to be full of blood, so you wouldn't be able to see the, the person underneath Elle at the time. And then on the actual night, because we'd never filmed with the blood in the bathtub before, we realized that 
it was too opaque and you could see that there were two people in, in there at the same time. So we had to redo everything. We had uh, on the night, we had to block everything out for a second time and, and figure out how we could do it with just Elle in the bath by herself. And even then we had to just keep pouring more and more of this fake blood in the bath. And this stuff is made from, from corn syrup and, and chocolate sauce. So here's Elle for hours sitting in this bathtub <laughs> full of, uh, full of just the stickiest kind of goo and her fingers were sticking together. And, she was splashing everywhere, so we kept having to fill the bath up again with warm water. And every time, this look on her face when we pour another bucket of this fake blood in there. So as much as we were workshopping it, there were still those problems that you have uh, on set at the time. But luckily, she was a good sport about all of it. And a lot of work has gone into shot selections where they're very measured in what you have chosen to do. When you watch the film, on every shot, you realize it's been well thought out from angles, framing, lens sizes. There's a few nice uh, rack focuses going on. So talk about how you roadmapped that out with your cinematographer, Robert Morton. I'll give a call out to him because I thought he did a great job. And the process that you went through to achieve all of that? Well, it's kind of you to say. Yeah, Rob and I have known each other for almost two decades now. Uh, we were working on films together, like student films back in the day. And Rob and I have this relationship now where we've, we've worked together more times than I can count and we've developed a really good shorthand. He has a good concept of, of I think, the visual style that I try to put into my stories. And I also understand, I think, Rob and, and the kind of, lighting that he likes to go with as well. He's, he's a big fan of using practical lights as much as possible. Rob's very good at using a kind of naturalistic lighting, which at the same time, you know, it's good at directing your eye to a certain place and fitting the mood. I think it's hard to get that balance between stylized and naturalistic sometimes. And that's something that Rob really seems to excel with. So I can come to Rob with an idea of how I would like a shot to feel and the kind of anticipation or fear that I would want an audience to, to be feeling at that point. And we can work out an idea pretty quickly on what we can practically achieve to make that, that shot happen. And what did you shoot the film on? We shot it on a couple of cameras. The main one we were using was an FX9, a Sony. There were some of the smaller shots running through the house and where we just being in a, in a real location, you know, we practically couldn't get the camera into a lot of corners that we were trying to achieve. So for those other shots, we were using a, an A7S, just shooting on a DSLR. And the music, it had a nice build throughout the piece by Olympia Henshaw. From a directing point of view, there would have been a lot of different passes along the way with this when you went back and forth with Olympia on how to go big at certain moments and when to pull all of that back. So talk a little bit about that, working with Olympia, who's done a really nice job on the film because she's not gone big too often. She's gone at the right moments, and that's obviously all in the talk that you two have had. She's a fairly well-known music producer in her own right. And this is the first time that she's written a score for a film. We've talked over the years about, uh, about horror films a few times. We're both fans of the genre. So her sensibilities for how, how you can use music in, in this genre, I think, were already fairly well developed. But we talked about, similar to the soundscape, using sound quite selectively. And even when we were using it, I like the idea of music certainly being something that the audience isn't cognizant of necessarily at the time. And for Drip, it was about sneaking the score in so that by the time we did use it to really ramp up 
the the fear factor for the audience. It would have already been there for a while. You know, it wasn't jumping out at you. We didn't like the idea of playing those kind of violin tweaks uh, to to sync up with scares. You know, we want we want scares to be frightening in their own right, rather than I think some people would see that as cheapening them up a little bit. We wanted to try and play it much more as ominous background character rather than using it as a fear device. And I should give a nod to your special effects person who made a great impact on your film at the end because that look that you came up with, very creepy. Yeah, we workshopped what that look would be quite a few times. That was a, that was another tricky one with lockdown. It just meant that there were a lot of references being sent back and forth, but it was only just before filming that we were able to do those makeup tests and, and have a look at what it was going to be on the day. And even then on the night, under the lighting that uh, we ended up going with, we had to tweak that quite a bit more than I, uh, I would have, I would have hoped. You don't want to be tweaking something like that too much on the night. But even then, I think the grade and Nick, who worked on our grade, he worked with us quite a bit to to really, I think, make some of those details pop out with at the same time not showing too much of it. It's again one of those things where, for me, I, I, I like the scares to be much more about what you don't show than what you do. So I think this is one of the few times that we show something frightening on film and uh, it was about still obscuring it to an extent without limiting what the imagination could do to fill in those gaps there. It is a look that we we're all pretty happy with at the end. And of course, you were a finalist in the Sony Film Festival. Talk a little bit about the film and you've got into other festivals. I think you've won a few different yeah, in terms of awards. The reception for Drip's been really, it's been very positive. You know, we were, I think we were all surprised by how well it seems to be doing. Sony were great about the entire process. We weren't allowed to, to show the film online at the festival like a few of the other films have been. Uh, but they were really good about that. They understood that we'd already committed to other festivals and you know, they still did their best to incorporate us. And then we got to log in online and, and be part of the, the festival and the awards ceremony. It was, it was a fun night. It was a good process. And if a producer is listening to this podcast, wondering if this guy has a feature that he wants to direct... Let's throw that up in the air because, Sydney, as we know, it's all about connections in this industry. So here is an opportunity for you to talk about a feature film project that you might have, which I'm sure you've got, and you want to make. So go for it. Tell us <laughs> what it is. Um, it's a pitch online. <laughs> I, uh, well, you know, I've been in lockdown for three months now. So uh, in that time, I've actually I've written more ideas than I, I, would have, I would have thought possible for me. But there's a couple of feature film scripts where we're talking to some producers now, which, you know, they, they look hopeful. But at the moment, I think making that next step is uh, something I'd like to get a bit more experience uh, with narrative work under my belt first before I really jump into it. You know, the good thing about short films is that they're a calling card. If you don't have something of quality... You can't use it as a calling card when somebody says, what have you got? Show me something. <laughs> yeah, look, I think as well as being a lot of fun to make short films, uh, they do give you the opportunity to you know, show off a little bit of your style and maybe take some more risks than working on some of those bigger jobs. So we're planning on filming the next one. Uh, now the lockdown is, is over in Sydney. We're filming the next one in the next couple of months. Hopefully that makes a similar size splash and, and we can move on to the next big and scary thing. 
Well, thank you, Sydney, for the insights into your short film, Drip. And we'll leave a link to the trailer. Have you got a trailer that we can leave a link to? Yeah, sure. We'll uh, put it in. And well done to you and your team for really crafting and creating a memorable short film. And thanks for talking to us on the film podcast. Thanks very much, Craig. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to The Film Podcast with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.